He got me invested in some kind of fruit company. And so then I got a call from him saying, we don't have to worry about money no more. And I said, that's good. One less thing. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and are you ready to set yourself up for financial abundance? Today, we'll get the inside scoop from the author of The Financial Mindset Fix, Joyce Martyr. Plus, how often do you make stock trades while you're drunk? It turns out a surprisingly high percentage of investors have. We'll break down those numbers and more during our headline segment. And we'll enjoy a visit from Cameron McNair from Magnify Money. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Mark, who has a question about crypto in his portfolio. What should you do if you have a large sum in crypto right now? Oh, nice low-key brag there, Mark. I'm sure he means after he donates to his favorite podcast. And now, two guys who really have the abundance mindset figured out when it comes to boxed wine. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. I think that might be right for one of us. The other one of us wouldn't be caught dead around box wine. Hey, everybody, welcome to the OG's oh, Diva podcast. Happy Wednesday. I'm Joe Saul the man who will drink box wine. I thought you were going to say the man, the myth, the legend. The man, the myth, the box wine drinker. How are you, man? That's the OG whose voice you're about to hear. Very stone cold sober on this Wednesday morning. Which is great for 8.30 a.m. on a Wednesday. That is, that's a fine place to start your morning. We're recording in the morning. We got our coffee, but better than that, OG, we've got Joyce Martyr coming down to the basement. And if you guys haven't heard Joyce before, oh, I'm so excited because it's time today, OG, like Doug said, to get your financial mindset in order. Ready to get your financial mindset fixed? So ready. Let's do this. We are going to do it. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. 
Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. All right. OG's ready. I'm ready. Buckle up, Buttercup. Who said that first? Buckle up, Buttercup. Is that, is that from a movie? Uh, I was going to say Mrs. Butterworth, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I don't know either, but I like it. So butter up, butter up, buttercups. Butter up, buttermilk <laughs> person. I don't Something. even know. Something, yeah, because we're now rolling downhill into the headlines. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from magnifymoney.com. Of course, they are also a sponsor of the show, but I've talked in the past a lot about how much we love their blog, but they just did some research. Uh, Cameron McNair wrote this piece for Magnify Money, which is all about investing and decision-making. And not surprisingly, OG, some good news here to start off with, 58% of people agree I think that number's probably even too low, but 58% of people agree their portfolio performs better when emotions are left out of the equation, but that's easier said than done. That means 42% of people don't believe that. That, that number's way too low because investing needs to be an unemotional decision. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, the, the idea is to try to get your emotions out of it and to set up the system so that you don't actually have emotions while making it. We actually called up earlier Cameron McNair to talk about this piece. And this is the disturbing thing. We've talked before about investors and emotions. And well, Cameron, Cameron talks about one very strong emotion. Listen, listen to this. Yeah. So we found that 30% of our investors have cried about investing and most of them, uh, the most popular reason for that was just losing, was actually losing money in the stock market. So it could have been, you know, a big crash or they made a wrong investment choice or any of those factors that made them actually lose money. And so th that was the most popular reason for folks crying. Um, but we also found that 34% and 35% are feeling, uh, the 34% were people who sold a stock too early. So that kind of falls aligned with losing money, but not necessarily actual money that they lost, but thinking that they may have missed out on an opportunity. Um, and then that 35% of folks felt just feeling overwhelmed with the stock market. So that can be any, you know, maybe they haven't even actually lost money yet, but they're just so overwhelmed with decisions and creating a strategy for themselves that they've cried about it. 
That's absolutely horrible to hear. Of course, we heard even earlier a couple months ago that over uh, 65% of people have cried about their finances in general. What she said about FOMO and fear missing out, I don't know if fear missing out is a reason to cry about your investments, but that overwhelm that she talks about, that's a real thing. And I've got to believe, OG, in some of your meetings that you have had over the years with individuals, you see that overwhelm. Screw that. Let's not put that on a third party. Have you ever cried about your money? Uh, I did. Yes. Absolutely. Way back when, right? Like despair, just, oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of this? I was done. I didn't know how I was going to eat tomorrow. Yeah. I remember eating oyster crackers and thinking if I went to bed, at least I wouldn't be hungry while I was sleeping. By the way, you can wake up hungry. (laughs) I found that out also. (laughs) You can like seriously be hungry in your sleep. But uh, I don't remember crying about it. But I do have some memories of some pretty serious despair. Like this, this is never going to get better. This is this is this is how the rest of the life, my life, will be. And uh, thankfully, that's not true. But dang, it feels dark down there at the bottom of the ocean. It totally does. It completely does. And when you're there, I'm completely with you. I thought it was never going to get better. And of course it did. And I think that that's the time, and it's easy for us to say this now, OG, but that's the time when you got to get help, right? I mean, you've got to, I had to talk to some people. It was bad. I was, I was in a very bad place. I was sure that, that there was no way out of this financial hole. And I had a family that depended on me and I felt like I was a loser and I couldn't get it together. And man. Well, you're still a loser. Well, thank thank you. (laughs) Love, Love you. Love you too. And that's why I'm doing better today. Yes. With of less fr- of a loser, but still friends like OG the losing side of the equation. Well, and unfortunately, OG, not just with crying, but, uh, but emotional investing, people make decisions that they regret. And that was the heart of this. But one, one of the biggest things I think maybe brought on by the pandemic and the fact that trading is now free is that some people may have had a couple adult beverages before they before they partook in investing. I asked Cameron, I said, Who's, whose idea was it to study drunk investing? And well, let's pick up the conversation there. <laughs> yeah, I think we are at Magnify Money and Lending Tree Broader. We're just interested in why consumers make the decisions they do. And I think in light of the pandemic and lots of changes in investor behavior and invest the investor pool in general uh, in recent months and the recent year and a half or so, I think we were just interested in what are people doing? You know, there's been lots of news articles about these retail investors who were able to get into the stock market because of this extra time at home or spending, you know, right. just maybe plugging into the news more because of the pandemic, but, you know, kind of drinking alongside with that, you know, in the other field, just studies about people are drinking more because they're home, because they're reacting to the pandemic and things like that. So we kind of wanted to tie all these different scenarios in together to figure out how is it affecting our our money? Well, not only are people trading emotionally, OG, but because of the pandemic, Cameron explained to me a lot, a lot, a lot of people, and not just with finance, OG, turns out that a lot of people uh, sitting home in front of the computer, looking at their stocks and uh, doing some drinking. A lot of people pandemic drinking. It's like Amazon shopping while having a couple of glasses of wine in you, boxed wine. <laughs> let's, let's, 
Let's talk to Cameron about the correlation between drinking and trading. Uh, I asked her, was there a correlation? It seems that way, unfortunately. Although we did ask, have you gotten drunk and traded once or twice or many times? And more frequently, it was just people doing it once or twice, not making a habit of drinking and investing. <laughs> drinking and trading in moderation. And that was what, uh, 32% say they've traded while drunk. And uh, 59% I see here for Gen Z investors who have brought, bought, who have bought or sold an investment while inebriated. They were the biggest group. Uh, you, you know, that's kind of the tip of the iceberg here, uh, being drunk and investing. But you really looked at emotional investing. Tell me about emotional investing and what you found. Right. So that, again, along the same lines of wondering if people just make quick or maybe not well thought out investment moves in reaction to something that has affected their, their emotions, whether that's a personal circumstance or the broader market uh, conditions. Drunk investing for the win. Uh, have you, have you ever found yourself in front of your trading screen, trading stocks and in, well inebriated? No. Yeah, me neither. That has not been a thing. Getting on social media and posting, which is oh, also that's bad. that's your thing. That's, that's your a, thing. That's a bad thing. Yeah. I have done that before. Not great. There's, I think, 12 people that saw Andy Hill and I at Andy's house who had the great idea at two o'clock in the morning to do an Instagram live. It felt like a good, somebody even commented uh, as the Instagram live went where they said, this is the thing they're going to say tomorrow, Andy and Joe, that this was a good idea at the time. Felt like a good idea. <laughs> not, yep. not great. But this whole phenomenon, though, of drinking and trading, is this, is this one of those unintended consequences in this emotional trading? Is this an unintended consequence, OG, of free trades? Well, 100%. Obviously, if, if you think that Fidelity or Schwab or Robinhood or insert brokerage company here that isn't charging commissions now all of a sudden is you know, running out of money because they, they're not making any on commission. So therefore they must not be making any. You are crazy. They just changed how they make money. They make money based on order delivery and frequency and all that other sort of stuff. So of course they're incentivizing the behavior of do more of the thing that now quote unquote doesn't cost you anything. I don't know who said this uh, in relation to Facebook at one point in time, but it's more and more prevalent now. If you can't figure out how you're paying, you're the product. You know, if you haven't figured out how Facebook makes money on you yet, they're, they're, they're a multi-billion dollar company. So the same thing is true on trading, right? If you think that Robinhood, which now is a publicly traded company, so they have uh, you know shareholders and they're going to have to start disclosing a lot more than they were previously. But if you think that they were just doing it because they were super rich and like, just wanted to be benevolent and help the little guy as Robin Hood was, you're crazy. <laughs> that is, this is not your grand, grandma's Robin Hood. This is not uh, Robin Hood of 1500. No. You know, it's funny as you're talking, OG, I see a correlation, which is before our eight week break a couple of weeks ago, we had a fun discussion, you and I, about life insurance and about how life insurance works. And one of those takeaways we brought to the table was the fact that you need to broaden your your scope, meaning don't try to make an insurance decision, look at risk management. 
and maybe it includes insurance and maybe it doesn't. When people talk about cost and fees, people use those terms interchangeably, but really there's a much bigger cost than fees that you pay by making some of these incredibly suboptimal emotional decisions with your cash. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, you try to focus on one thing. It's like the magician, you know, you just don't see the other side, the other part of the trick that's happening and whether it's something like insurance or it's trading or whatever, all of those things are related. You know, all of your financial planning decisions affect other financial planning decisions. The choice that you make as it relates to how much money you put in your pre-tax 401k versus your Roth 401k affects your tax bill. The amount of money that you pay in taxes affects your cash flow. The amount of cash flow that you have go out affects your emergency fund. You know, so like all of this stuff is interrelated and you have to be able to see the, the, all the dominoes that are falling along the way. A last piece on this study, when it comes to emotional investing, you're not going to find this shocking, which is uh, very overwhelmingly customers who manage their portfolios generally have a harder time keeping emotions out of investing than those who rely on a financial advisor. This was not an empirical study about better performance, but people, when they're looking to have less emotion in their investing and make practical decisions, do it better when they have that intermediary right? That they've got somebody else involved. They don't feel emotionally attached to these decisions. Well, and I think there's a difference between being emotionally attached to the decision and being emotionally attached to the outcome. You know, I think that we take selfishly a very strong interest in client goal attainment. I think that um, we are very, very, very focused on that. And do we as a firm benefit when our clients do well? Of course, you know, that's how that works. But but we're more interested in the outcome for clients. And so we're emotionally invested in the outcomes, but unemotionally invested in the process to get there. Because, you know, once you've seen a hundred people retire, you see what that looks like, you know, or once you've gone through a number of market recessions or corrections, you'd see what that looks like. And in order to have an emotional sensation around the outcome, you have to be unemotional about the, the decision-making along the way. I rounded out this discussion, OG, by asking Cameron for her biggest takeaways from the study, and here's what she had. Our main takeaways were that some of the best or maybe the easiest or least emotional ways to manage your investment portfolio is to set it and forget it, is to automate your investments and not you know pay so close attention to how the stock market is doing. Because any given day, you know, you look at the stock market and everything's down and it seems like I should either get all my money out or I should put all my money in or, you know, that you should make a snap decision. Whereas we know historically the stock market is going to recover from whatever dip it takes. So it's better to kind of leave your investments in and just wait it out, wait it out, wait it out until either you need that money or you, you know, you're really ready and you can make a, you've made a thought, well thought out decision to take your money out. And so then after that, it's just knowing your risk tolerance. And if you're somebody who can stomach a lot of risk, then by all means, I'd say get as emotional as you want with your investments and investing and gambling are not the same, but in a sense, they have very similar aspects of if you can either afford or you're just comfortable blowing as much money as you want on not blowing it, but investing as much money as you want and not having that cash in your wallet anymore, then go for it. But, you know, if you are afraid of that or you know that like your budget won't support that, then we highly recommend taking a little bit more time with those decisions and being 
bit more careful or even reaching out to a financial advisor or somebody who is more experienced in investing to get some advice. Some wise words right there, OG, from Cameron. Big thanks to Cameron McNair for hanging out with us. By the way, if you want to hear that entire interview, it's on our YouTube page. Head to YouTube, put in Stacking Benjamins, subscribe to our YouTube page, and uh, you'll get an alert whenever we publish new stuff. But the entire longer interview about that awesome magnified money study is there. Also, if you want related links about emotion investing, Brooke has done that on our guide to these shows, which is absolutely free for every Monday and Wednesday episode. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. You'll also get money lessons from me, some money lessons that I've learned along the way as an extra free bonus, just throwing a bunch of stuff at uh, people for free. OG and something, some stuff that we're very, very proud of that guide. I have heard nothing but uh, great things. And uh, Brooke does a fantastic job with that. All right, coming up next, I'm super excited that we're going to be spending time with Joyce Martyr. Joyce is not only a pioneering psychotherapist, an entrepreneur, mental health thought leader, she is a person who founded a company. You may have heard of Urban Balance. She founded Urban Balance with a whopping 500 bucks and she sold it for millions. And now when it comes to the psychology of success, she is the go-to person. She's coming. But first, of course, we got Doug's daily rant and today's trivia. He's got the calendar out, OG. Let's see what holiday we should be celebrating today. Hey there, stackers. It's your new best friend, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And did you know that today is National Online Learning Day? You know, as a former student of the Southwest Bahamas State Beauty School and Technical Institute, I'm a bit of an experienced e-learner myself. E, of course, standing for educated. But as we've said here on the show, you can be educated and still be unemployable. Exhibit A, uh, there isn't quite the market for my alchemy degree that I initially thought. So I've actually been thinking about re-enrolling into some more relevant courses. Although turning any material into gold is always relevant. Let's turn this podcast into gold with an amazing trivia question. How about this one? What is the largest e-learning platform in the world? I'll be back faster than you can learn a new skill. Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, 
you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they can also be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. Oh God. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. U.S. Cellular, a company that sells phones, wants us to put down our phones and to see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. stackers it's joe's mom's neighbor doug and i've got a bit of an admission to make despite the way i come across uh, you know like as the most financially literate person you've ever met you might be surprised to learn that i don't always pay attention to everything we teach here uh online in the basement i mean like i and i skim the notes don't get me wrong, but I feel like I've been missing some things, so I've been going through the archives. Did you know that you'll never pay taxes on the gains in your Roth IRA if you follow a few simple rules? Bam! Right there. That's gold. Using my alchemy degree. Or did you know 37% of Americans would have difficulty covering an unexpected $400 expense? Time to bone up on that emergency fund. Am I right? I better get on this whole online learning about personal finance train. Who knows what else I've missed out on when I fell asleep for most of the thousand episodes of this podcast. But before I do, let's get back to today's trivia. The question was, what is the largest e-learning platform in the world? At number three, it's lynda.com. They'd probably be better if they actually spelled Linda right. Anyway, at number two, Skillshare. And coming in at number one, Coursera. Now you've got no excuse. Go learn something, stackers. Let's pass this over to Joe, and the woman is going to change your financial mindset, Joyce Martyr. I'm going to go grab a chair and sit in the front row. See ya. And on my dad's shortwave radio, it's my new friend, Joyce Martyr. How are you? I'm good, Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so happy that you're with us. I want to start off with this. You know, everybody thinks that people like you or the other guests that we have on, there's these people who have always been great with money, that you have some gene Joyce, you know, that magically appeared and you just waved a magic wand and now you're helping everybody else to be like you. It was really refreshing to read that, that your finances at one point, like mine, were a flipping disaster. Just not not good. Yeah. Yeah. I think people see the tip of the iceberg and they don't realize all the suffering or the hard work that is behind that. And oftentimes we compare our insides to other people's outsides. We're imagining Mm -hmm. we're the only ones dealing with financial shame or struggle. And yes, I, I dealt with tremendous financial anxiety as an entrepreneur. When I started my business, Urban Balance, we ran into cash flow hell where we had tons of money outstanding in insurance claims and I had difficulty paying my staff and my rent and had insomnia and panic attacks and 
and learned a lot. I don't know if you know that therapists, we specialize in our own issues. Right. <laughs> you, you, you actually, I didn't know that, but you say that at the beginning of your introduction, when you're hearing all these things that other people suffer from and you're like, oh God, this, I think this is me. And you're kind of freaking out because you're like, I don't know, how can I help other people when I've got some of these issues? Yes, we're all works in progress and we all unconsciously recreate what's familiar until we become aware and we choose something else. And so my journey as an entrepreneur has been one of learning a lot about my psychology of money. My father grew up in the Great Depression and was an unemployed during much of my childhood during the automotive recession of the 80s. And I grew up with a lot of financial fear and anxiety that shaped my money script. And I became avoidant of dealing with money. And that cost me some financial pain. And I learned a lot of lessons that I want to share with others so that they don't do the same. I feel like a lot of people that we've had, not a lot, but some people we have on in the past, you know, they all, they talk about the money script. I think that's important, but I can feel our audience, they go, yeah, okay, the past, it's all this crap and I don't need to go back there. But I want to use you as an example, if you don't mind. And let's let's walk through from the very beginning because your, your program has 12 steps. And today what I thought we'd do, if it's all right with you, is just cover step one, which is abundance and getting to this place of abundance. And then if people like it from there, we'll let them get the book and, 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 and go from there. But at the very least, we can give them something. You talk about how you get specifically what you ask for. And I love the beginning of the book where you talk about your professor at Northwestern says the average salary is 18,000 bucks. And I think you said that somebody walk me through this because you said somebody said that they were making 25,000. So you said, okay, I'm going to make 25. Walk me through that. Is that what happened? Yeah. So when I started graduate school, my professor said, well, you certainly didn't go into this field for the money. And I was like, "Uh oh, because I just signed 50,000 of student loans and I needed to support myself in Chicago. And I heard the starting salary was 18,000, but I heard of a student who had gotten 25. So I set that as my goal and I made exactly 25 at my first job. And I realized that sucked and was really hard. And so I decided that I needed to make 35. And your, I first, I- your first job though, because I want people to get this, your first job was a methadone clinic. Yes. In, yeah. in downtown Chicago, I worked with HIV positive IV drug users who were in and out of the penitentiary, heroin addicted, worked on needle exchange vans and never thought, I remember my dad being like, oh my gosh, this is not what I expected you to do after graduating from Northwestern. But wow, it opened my eyes about the world and life. And I've worked with people across all different socioeconomic statuses and cultures and it's given me a lot of wisdom, which I I want to share with others. Yeah. And I think that's, I think there's actually some power. This is a little detour, Joyce, but I think there's some power in having some of these, I don't know that it's a quote bad job, but having this low paying job early on and a difficult job. Like I can imagine you coming home, not making hardly any money and just the struggle emotionally I would have with dealing with what you deal with all day had to be tough. It was tough, but I am mission driven and I do my work from my heart and soul. And so it was really meaningful to me. And I learned so many important first job skills and I was promoted to a supervisor in that job. 
And so it was great learning. I made wonderful friends in that job. And we all have those stepping stones that we need to go through in life. And it's I feel like each job from there added more layers of awareness that helped me grow and and develop. Yeah. So you told yourself 25,000 wasn't enough. I need to make more than that. And you told yourself you needed 35,000. So what happened? I made exactly that, but no more. And then a few years later, I started my private practice and I met with my buddy, Steve, for coffee. And he said, hey, Joyce, how much money do you want to make? And I said, well, this was the mid 90s. I said, I'd really love to make $60,000 a year. And he said, "Ooh, 60? I want to make over 100. And I said, well, do you think that's possible? And he said, of course, that's possible. And that year I made 60 and Steve made over 100. And I was like, huh, am I setting my own ceilings with self-limiting beliefs? And he went on to win Shark Tank, was on Oprah's Favorite Things, has sold multiple businesses. So I started expanding my thoughts about money and welcoming abundance. So shifting from a scarcity mindset to opening myself up to greater creativity and courage and thinking bigger as an entrepreneur and knowing that I was deserving like we all are. We're all innately deserving of of greater prosperity. And it is available to us if we open our thoughts and our emotions and our behaviors to that. That's so powerful. And the way that you did that, though, Steve goes on to make 100. You're making 60. You go to your therapist, which I think is, is important because I feel like, Joyce, as I was reading this, I feel like we all think we can do it by ourselves. And yet what I've learned over my career is that surrounding myself with people that are smarter than me, that have this, this outside view of me that aren't as emotional about me maybe as I am. And my goals is really helpful. And it it felt to me like the therapist was really how you were able to break through that. Absolutely. And I'm such a mental health advocate. I think we can all benefit from therapy or counseling at different points in our lives. And I've struggled with anxiety. I was afraid it was going to keep me from becoming a therapist. But I think being in therapy has just transformed my whole life. And my therapist asked me, Joyce, what does money mean to you? What do you think of when I say the word money? And I said, I think of stress. And she said, well, no wonder you make it go away. (laughs) So I had to shift my thinking about money to think about it as a resource to take care of myself and my loved ones and the world around me and to do greater good in the world and that I was deserving of that resource. And that took a lot of work, but it really transformed my business. And from that time when I was in cash flow hell, I was able to rebuild it along with my team of supporters. Exactly. As you said, that was my biggest pain point that I had was that my ego and fear and pride kept me from seeking business and financial consultation that got me in, in a pickle financially. And once I was, you know, on my knees and I needed that help and I was crying, thinking I was going to have to file business bankruptcy, I finally sought that consultation and, I'm so grateful to the advisors who told me that my business model did work. I just needed the proper lending and coaching. And along with my leadership team, we were able to turn the business around. And seven years later, I was able to sell it for a seven-figure multiple. 
starting with $500 and $50,000 in student loans, 500 bucks invested in the business, millions of dollars on the on the other side. And thank you, by the way, for walking through the early days and your struggles there, because I think going back to the beginning of this discussion, Joyce, I feel like this is where the money script fits, right? Because once you told yourself 25, then you told yourself 35, then you told yourself 60, then you went and got help. That's when you walk through your money script. And that's where your relationship with your dad came in. And you talk about your dad crying with money about money and you remembering that. Yes. I I remember it being really scary. I was about eight years old. I remember it vividly being in the living room and it was summertime. And my dad was an executive who traveled a lot. So it was very unusual for him to be at home during the daytime during the week. And I said, dad, I'm so happy that you're here. It's so nice to have you here. And he looked up and he had tears streaming down his face. And he was a big guy, six two, kind of an alpha male. And I remember being really scared that he was crying and I could see shame, even though I was so young. I remember viscerally feeling that what I felt was a happy thing him being home was deeply shameful and incredibly anxiety provoking for him. And it was because he had lost his job, which I didn't understand at the time. Yeah, seems great to you. Horrible for horrible for him. It's funny because the first time I had somebody walk me through my story, it was actually not around my money. It was around eating. And I realized that I equate, and I think people are like this with money too. I, I equate fast food with love. And the reason is, is that my dad worked for General Motors and we would go pick him up at lunchtime. And you know what we do, Joyce? We would go to this place called Dog and Suds and sit in the car. It's like a Sonic, old time Sonic. And we would have, we would have fast food as a family. And so I go to McDonald's today and I feel this lie that is this warm sense of love and, and, and being until like two hours later when I feel shame and horrible that I actually fed, fed my body that, but I'm sure you see this all the time. These people living this different thing, this different reality on the inside and the shame around their money that they don't really, I think they need to let it go. Well, my goodness, there's so much that you said there. And one interesting thing is the parallel between eating and finances it is similar in terms of, you know, there's a flow of what we're taking in and what we're expending and you need to find a healthy balance. And it's our psychology that makes it difficult. Our emotions, like your emotions that you were tied to McDonald's, that's a belief system that therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy could help you rework that, you know, to, to recognize that love was from the act of being together and not the fast food. Right. And to separate those things and empower yourself to make different choices. It's the same thing with money. It's it's not rocket science that we need to earn more than we spend and that we need to save and invest. But it's our psychology that makes it difficult. We self-sabotage because our emotions take over. And so there are skills that I teach in my book about how to develop peace and equanimity so that you can be grounded and you can reflect on your thinking about money and how that's shaping your financial reality. I feel like that was the first step of abundance. uh, The first half of chapter one, where you're really just dealing with raising your expectations about what you really can get and manifesting that for yourself. But the second half 
and you walked into this a little bit earlier and I want to dive more into this. So now you have a business on the surface. It looks successful. Cash flow now is not a problem, right? I mean, it, well, it is for the business, but for you personally, that you're in a different space, but the business isn't working out. And I had a pit in my stomach when you talk about your, your business partner leaving and how it was one of the worst times of your life. Walk me through what happened there. So my business partner and I had been good friends and we had shared office space together. We started the business together. We talked every day. We were friends for 10 years. We'd had the business for seven years at this point we were in that cash flow hell period and i was on vacation and she sent me an email saying that she just couldn't handle the stress of the business anymore and that she was leaving and she actually copied our entire staff and our accountant and attorney and so many of our staff left because they were like what the heck the business is in bad financial shape we need folding, to folding yeah it's folding it's a sinking ship more than that, I felt like this was one of my best friends and partners in life. And it felt like the rug was pulled out from beneath me. She actually never came back to the office. It felt like the equivalent of a partner moving out in the middle of the night. I felt completely blindsided. And it was the, me not seeking business and financial consultation sooner that led to that. So I know I have a part in that. But it was devastating. I was grieving the loss of our friendship, which I would have filed bankruptcy a hundred times over in order to keep that friendship. But she made a different choice and that was really hurtful. It was really scary, but I had a huge shift in my mentality at that point. Instead of telling my staff, like, it's okay, guys, I've got this all figured out. It'll be okay. I said, I am so sorry. I've messed up and things aren't good and I need your help. And help came out of the woodwork. My staff had ideas. They loved the business. They cared about the business. They cared about me. And together, one step at a time, we, you know, it was one day at a time, one bill at a time. I remember my accountant saying, yay, we, we paid the phone bill today, baby steps. <laughs> but we made it through. And it taught me a lot of humility and that importance of seeking advice from others and a different way of leading that's allowing everyone to, you know, more of conscious leadership of having everyone share their gifts and talents and input rather than me being kind of codependent in a sense and feeling overly responsible and taking on too much myself, trying to protect others. And that didn't serve any of us well. Did you feel calmer then or did you feel okay with not feeling okay? That time was so life-changing for me because I certainly didn't feel calm. It was it was an anxiety-provoking time, but I felt the strength rise up in me that I didn't know that I had. Eleanor Roosevelt said, you don't know how strong a woman is. A woman is like a tea bag. You don't know how strong she is until you put her in hot water. And I didn't know until I went through that, that I could stand up, I could face my staff, I could face difficult situations, and I could do it on my own. Uh, I thought that I really needed a partner and a co-pilot, and it taught me to trust in myself in a whole new and different way. And that was a real growth experience that was very liberating. But wow, it's interesting. You're trusting in yourself, and yet 
you're reaching out to everybody and sharing more than you ever had. During that time, you opened up to your staff, but you also went and like we talked about earlier, you became the dumbest person in the room and really got help from professionals. You talk about your accountant. That's one accountant, but you took it to another outside professional. I know you talked about your financial planner and about how you kind of have this team of smart people around you that helps you see abundance. Let me talk about that for a moment. So I believe in having a personal and professional board of advisors and my personal board of advisors might be like my therapist or my partner, my, my friends, my sister, my professional board of advisors would include my accountant, my attorney, my financial planner, my mentor and consultant. And I have sought so much coaching and consultation that has helped me grow and develop in in every way in my profession. When writing my book, I had help with editing. I had help with writing. I had a narration coach before I did the audible version of my book. I believe in seeking help from others and it helps us learn and grow. And yes, my business broker, when it was time to sell the business, it was such a wonderful learning experience and one about abundance as well, because I could have sold my business for one or $200,000, but I held my vision high. I knew it was worth millions. So I declined lower offers. I valued myself. I valued the business. When we put it on the market, we had 50 prospective buyers. We had eight offers. And I chose the the offer that was most aligned with my heart and, and the mission of the business that also allowed me to invest and stay on as an investor so that I, I still had the opportunity to grow with the parent company. And I didn't take the offer with the best, with the most cash at hand, but I've gotten almost twice as much in investment returns since that sale. But still, even without those investment returns, I'm just feeling now, Joyce, you know, the, the first step on your program is abundance. And I'm feeling the abundance of your staff that stay with you, the abundance in the people that are around you. You know, one thing, some of our audience, because it's ostensibly a financial show, they look at, they, they look at, uh, you know, these people you surround yourself with and you know what they're thinking about. They're thinking about, well, wow, that must've cost a lot of money, right? That must've cost you a lot. What do you say to people when they look at cost versus benefit, uh, when it comes to changing your life this way? You have to invest in yourself and invest in your learning and growth. And, and that's a wise investment. And so seeking that consultation, I mean, like, for example, my business broker took 15%, I, it wasn't 15%, some percent. Yeah. As much a bajillion dollars though. It felt like at the time, I'm it sure. Felt, it felt like a bajillion dollars, yeah. but he easily got me four times what I thought I would ever get for the business. So that was smart. And so sometimes you have to zoom out and, and look from a greater perspective and understand that that money invested can be really well spent. And so, yeah, I think abundance is about, I was thinking about this the other day. It's about, you know, think about expanding your life and using all of yourself. Like, are you using all of your intellect, all of your creativity, all of your passion, all of your joy, are you applying that in your life to the greatest extent possible? Or are you holding yourself back and making yourself small out of fear 
or some other belief systems that are limiting you. And I think there's some belief systems that having more money is selfish and greedy. My perspective is that when we have more, we can help more. So as my business grew, I was able to provide more jobs. I was able to provide pro bono counseling services and have student interns and give to charities. I'm laughing as you're talking because I'm remembering a joke that you told in the in the book where you realize that just because your last name's Martyr doesn't mean you need to be a martyr. Exactly. Exactly. My accountant confronted me and said, <laughs> Joyce, you're not running a charity that's, that's to employ therapists and give them their own private practices. And that was a little intervention that that was really much needed and helpful. I thought about the book Profit First. I don't know if you've read Profit First, but yeah. I thought about that. And really you changing around to that system that if you don't profit, nobody else profits. And so you've got to be stable first, like incredibly powerful. I want to end by asking you about a practice that you talk about. You give your money names and you talk yeah. about how in the early days, your money was penny later on, your money was prosperity. Is that something we should all do? Should we give our money a name? Yes. And I'm so excited now that my book is out. I'm hearing back from people about what they've named their money it's so much fun. It's a mindfulness practice. So imagining your financial life as if it were a person and you have a relationship with that person. And in the early days, Penny was somebody that I sort of abused and neglected. I was ashamed of her. I didn't talk about her with anyone. I expected a lot out of her without nurturing her. And today she's prosperity and she's a direct reflection of my own feeling of worth. And I value her. And so I take good care of her and I nurture her. Um, my, my cute stepdaughter, who's 25 and a starving artist, said that she named her financial life Jeffrey and that he's a little sketchy and scammy and scrappy and disheveled. <laughs> <laughs> and then my other good friend said hers is Sally and she's tons of fun, loves to shop and travel and decorate and, <laughs> and is wildly impractical and then is paralyzed with financial fear and anxiety. So I think it provides some insight and can help us learn how to change our relationship with that person. Yeah. It makes you honor it more, I think. Yes. Yeah. That's great. I should call mine board games because too much of my money goes to board games. But anyway, <laughs> uh, this is just step one, guys, in Joyce's book. The, the book is The Financial Mindset Fix, A Mental Fitness Program for an Abundant Life. This is step one of 12. And if you want to take it further, if you want to go from there, Joyce, I guess the book's available everywhere, right? Yes, it's on Amazon, in Barnes & Noble, Indie Books. It's everywhere. It's on Audible as well, Kindle. And I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear what people think about it. You know, when I talk to authors, there's often a surprise that they had writing it. I mean, clearly, you're at home with the system. You've coached people through the system so many times. But this process of writing a book, did you have a surprise along the way? I found it so much fun. The way I set it up is I share in the beginning of the chapter a story of my own in hopes of making it normalizing and relatable. And then I share sort of a, a psychoeducational tutorial with fun client examples. And then I share exercises. And the exercises were really fun. And I'm happy to hear from people that that's what they're finding really valuable because it's not like they're just learning this stuff, they're actually learning how to apply it to yeah. make a difference in their lives. That's funny. We talked about the wheel on a, on a recent show and you've got the wheel showing up all the way through the book, which is 
fantastic because we were just telling our audience that a, a lo- top coaches use the wheel. Like the wheel is just so great. Joyce, thanks for hanging out with us and talking about abundance. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Joe. This is Daryl from Pennsylvania. When I'm not busy arguing with a four-year-old, I'm stacking Benjamins. No, Daddy. Big thanks to Joyce. Financial mindset, so much of it. And it's funny when you combine what Cameron talked about and what Joyce talked about, OG, that getting your emotions in check, a big part of winning that game. Yep. Hey, let's uh, throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Being very emotionless. <laughs> and you're so good at it. It's, it, it's my it's love your, language. <laughs> uh, it's your loved ones in your time. I'm so, I don't even know what to do with that, but it's your loved ones in your time. And that's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. You'll find their application simple. It's all online. You get instant coverage decision. Great time, OG, here with people thinking about uh, their money and their financial mindset. Get the security that you need. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Of course, because they're a fintech company, you're going to get things done quickly. And because they're also issuing policies by their parent company, Mass Mutual, it's more than 160 year old insurer. You also have the peace of mind that they're not some brand newbie around the block. Today, we're going back to our Facebook group, The Basement, for a question that Mark asked. And uh, we had 52 comments on this inside The Basement. And I thought, oh, gee, that we would get uh, your comment. We've increasingly, over the last several years, talked about cryptocurrencies and about the future of money. Of course, we have a guest uh, talking about the future of money coming up next week. Here's a question for you. If you got $100,000 in Bitcoin today, what would you do with it? $100,000 worth? $100,000 worth of Bitcoin today. What would you do with it? We got 52 comments in the basement. Let's get OGs. This is like asking if you win the lottery. Like, what do you do? What, what would you do if you won the lottery? Do-do-do. We're sorry. The number that you've called has been disconnected. <laughs> would you really? Please try your call again later. Yeah. See, I've already decided that if I won the lottery, I would use that to invest more in venture capital businesses. I would use it for seed money to invest in venture capital and also to uh, put more money toward my favorite nonprofit here, Partnership for the Pathway in Texarkana, building walking trails around town. Like I would that's, do. That's you just trying to make the bargain with heaven. Like, Lord, let me win the lottery. I promise no, to do good. No, I, I feel promise the, to do well. You know, we talked about being emotional and how things sucked. I feel very, very lucky now and a lot of gratitude that my life is going largely the way I want it. And I just think that that would be the most fun thing with that money would be investing more in, um, in these, these companies. I've already decided I don't like the second home thing. Like people are like, Oh, I get a vacation home or I move, uh, I move back to Texarkana for a reason. I have too much wanderlust to want to go back over and over again to the same place. Cheryl and I have walked through the scenario of buying a cottage five bajillion times and just not, just not in our makeup. Too many new places I want to go. Yeah. You come back to the, but why we like these other places also. Yeah. So not for us. 
But buying Airbnb properties, maybe. But I think I I much more prefer working with business owners as an angel investor to get the get the business running the right way. All right, back to Bitcoin. Back to Bitcoin. I can see that. Um, I would um, probably split it up into a couple of different ones. Into different coins. Oh, you yeah. beat me to it. That's exactly what I would do. Yeah, I would not. I would not put all the money in one coin. I would. I would definitely diversify it into different coins. Would you? Would you change that amount of money? Would you take any of that money off the table and not have it in crypto? No. Me neither. I would leave it all in crypto. I've got a million things that I can spend the money on for sure. But assuming that it's like here's here's money that you don't need to spend on anything. I think if you had debt, though, the order of operation would be number one, wipe out all debt but your mortgage, right? Number two, if you're behind on your goals, take that money out of crypto and put it into assets that will much more reliably help you get the goals. But then beyond that, if you've got the goals taken care of, you've got your emergency fund, debt strategies working then I think that's where we go. Leave It's it, the same it thing about any, any found money, right? I mean, a bonus of some kind. I think the biggest thing when it comes to found money is you have to have already thought about what your rules for that are in advance. In our house, what we do is we say that anything that's above and beyond our savings goals and you know we've got the cash flow built out like every other person does, right? So everything that's above that, if something good happens, we say... of it goes to the investment account for some non-determined purpose. 40% goes to pay the mortgage off faster. And 20% goes into the cash account for something fun down the line, whether it's a house remodel type thing or vacation or something like that. So we just kind of go 40, 40, 20 with everything above whatever our goals are. That makes it so we don't have to have this discussion of like, but what happens if you get now... I don't know that I would stay stick with the 40 40 20 per rule if <laughs> if if I won a 300 million dollar lottery or something right. like well says here we got to spend 60 million on fun so cha-ching well there it is you know but um I guess I have to accumulate 150 million of debt to pay off you know that's it's obviously all relative but um but I think the problem that people get into is you don't have a plan for that in advance. And then, and then if something happens good, then you're trying to solve it on the fly. And we just talked about taking emotions out of it. Well, right now I've got a 101 things that I would like to spend money on because it's just top of mind, right? we got some stuff in the house that we're doing, you know, kid tuition and whatever. But if I really sat down and thought about it, I, I would probably make a different choice. So try to make that different choice early so that if something happens, that's good you can already have the plan on the shelf. Thanks for bringing that up in the basement, Mark. That was uh, such a fun topic, and I'm glad we could <laughs> we could do it here. And I love, OG, you walking through the, the order of operations. And I totally agree. Got to gotta know ahead of time where you're headed with, uh, with that money, or it's just you're going to burn it. By the way, also looking at the Haven Lifeline where you call in and we answer your question, you're very close to the front row. We can probably get to you in the next week or two. So if you've got a question for OG and I uh, for the show, we'll also send some collectible Stacking Benjamin swag your way for being brave and asking the question on the show. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash voicemail gets you there. All right, that's going to do it for today. Lots of people to thank. 
Doug's about to do all that for us in a second. Last but not least, though, we talked on Monday about the fact that this year is coming to a close. Time to think about your it's 20, hard to believe, isn't it? 22 decision-making. How is it going to be? Is it going to be a great year? Is it going to be a horrible year? And like Joyce talked about getting your financial mindset fixed, time to reboot. Think about how do we make better financial decisions? And if that means having a financial planning team in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients and to find out how they would interface with you to make better decisions, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG gets you there. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline and Cameron from Magnify Money. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but don't touch your investments when you're under the influence of any substances or acting impulsively. I know it's hard to believe that the data concludes you'll probably regret it when you do. Second, take a lesson from Joyce Martyr. No matter where you are on your journey, you can learn the skills that will lead to greater prosperity and joy. But the big lesson... Having a filter when you talk is underrated. It turns out that letting the whole audience know that I zoned out in the corner maybe wasn't the best idea. I mean, Joe said that he wants to have a little chat with me after the show. Oh, boy. I think we know what that means. Blah, 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 blah. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks to Cameron McNair from magnifymoney.com for stopping by. You'll find more tips on saving appropriately and a link to Cameron's study on our show notes page or even more related behavioral resources on our free stacker guide to this show at stackingbenjamins.com slash stacker. To learn more about how you can get your mindset in order, check out Joyce Martyr's new book, The Financial Mindset Fix, a mental fitness program for abundant life. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Saul Cihai. Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by Taylor Stevens with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen, check out our show notes page written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. Brooke and Joe also collaborate on a guide to the show and with lots of extras we couldn't include on today's podcast. Heck, they'll also throw in some life money lessons from Joe and it's all free. It's called The Stacker and you'll find it at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. She also is our social media coordinator, so say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. 
for a URL that'll take you right to our Facebook group, by the way. Type stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, reminding you that cupcakes, yeah, they're just muffins that believed in miracles. So anything is possible. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the after show stays in the after show. We're going to present this without explanation at all, because uh, while nothing that happens here is uh, on the surface level inappropriate, this next segment probably not right for kids. I would uh, listen to this on your on your own headphones. And like I mentioned, there's nothing here to bleep out, but uh, our friend Joe, speaking of the Basement Facebook group, presented this. This is the Henrico School Board public comment meeting, and uh, well, let's let's listen in. You guys work for us in this uh, environment. You answer to us, and I'm asking that you do not pass this policy in Virginia. Thank you so much, county. Ms. Thomas. We do appreciate you. Phil McCracken. Phil McCracken. Salk, Souk, Mahidik. Souk, Mahidik. Ophelia McHawk. Ophelia McHawk. Eileen Dover. Eileen Dover. <laughs> Don Kiddick. Don Kiddick. Wayne Kerr. Wayne Kerr. Hey, don't you think at some point, if you're him, you might have caught on? Some of them I didn't get, but I got the general gist of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bad day at your job when you inadvertently walk through so many of those and uh, millions of people now have watched him obliviously get, uh, get punked. And you're still sticking around. What are they doing here? OG. I have no idea. I want to leave, though. No, 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 you don't. Because you know what? You want to talk about Navy Federal Credit Union, don't you? Oh, well, if that's what we get to talk about, I'm in. Yeah, because with Navy Federal Credit Union, life gets better. And to make your car buying experience amazing, one of the many things they do very well over at Navy Federal Credit Union 
they created a fully loaded car buying experience. You can finance, buy, protect, and enjoy your auto purchase all through one convenient place. They have low rates and pre-approval good for 90 days. So you know what you can afford when you shop. Of course, remember, it isn't the rate that you should be interested in first or the pre-approval on a loan. You should be looking for a car that you can afford. And then if you have to finance it, well, then certainly start with Navy Federal and get that pre-approval so that you know that you can afford it. You also save thousands off MSRP with Navy Federal's car buying service powered by TrueCar. I talked about that on Monday. It's so amazing. And they're always available, of course, with 24-7 member service representatives to answer any questions. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash car buying. That's NavyFederal.org slash car buying credit and collateral subject to approval your actual savings off msrp may vary navy federal credit union is federally insured by ncua well stackers the show might be over but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that i want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law eric who is such a giving person eric will do just anything for you and as a marine you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.